0: Welcome to It's All About The Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart.
1: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. For those watching live, this is Wednesday, not Tuesday. For those listening to podcasts, the day doesn't matter but I'm excited to be here today. And for those live, I apologize for the not being right on time today. We had some technical difficulties, but it's well worth the wait. I promise you, because I've got an amazing guest today, who I love and adore, and devour every single thing this man writes. Um, so I'm excited to be here today. We're going to dive right in. I've got Brandon Webb here today. He is a multiple New York Times bestselling author. He is this amazing man. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's a Navy SEAL. He's a SEAL sniper. He helped to revamp SEAL Sniper Training School, adding mindfulness. He runs uh, amazing military websites. He's an advisor. He has talked on... Um, Newscasts often about what's going on in the world today. He is currently overseas and he has agreed to be here with us today. We're also going to be talking about his latest book and his first fiction book with John David Mann Steal Fear. Buy this book, everybody. I read it in multiple draft versions and final versions. And I have to tell you, I could not put it down. Um, Go to the bathroom before you read this book, because you're not going to be able to put it down. All right, let's bring Brandon on to the show. Brandon, thanks for being here.
0: Thanks for having me. Always good on the show, Laura
1: yeah and uh it's always great to have you on the show i'm thinking this is might be the fourth or even maybe fifth time for you to be on the show you're you and john david mann are the only ones that have ever been on the show that many times <laughs> thanks <laughs> um your new your latest book Steel fear yeah this is your first fiction book uh, i've read i think every single thing you've written have dog-eared copies in boxes right now because I've been renovating the upstairs as my listeners know due to mold and I didn't want anything to happen to the books. Total Focus, Mastering Fear, Among Heroes, The Red Circle, The Killing School, The Making of a Navy Seal, Benghazi. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, Brandon. I don't know how you were so prolific along with your day job of um, so if I'm pronouncing it right.com, this amazing website community, all about military stuff and what's going on. I mean, how do you do it all?
0: Well, um, and it's Safra. So Safra, Safra is a um, special operations forces report. It's a pro word. We, we just made up uh, okay. among the military pro words. Um, I, I think it's for me, you know, I got really good at writing nonfiction starting software eight years ago i i write for the site still today i write three to five articles a week uh for software um so and i think something like two or two thousand plus articles i've written so you know not only does that get you good at writing um it's it's very uh, you know i can I can take some of the stuff i've written for the site and compile it and, and help or you know when john and i are working on something we have a lot of a lot of stuff from myself plus our other writers for SoftRep to kind of dig into um so it's it's very complementary to to writing the books um, so there's a lot of material there that that i can pull from um so yeah i think that you know the, the two work work very well together
1: Well, what I thought was really interesting when you and John mentioned to me that you were going to be writing a fiction book was, okay, what is this book going to be about that they're going to write? I I can only imagine there's going to be something military in it. And it is, it's about a serial killer on an aircraft carrier. But the depth of the book really surprised me because, and it scared the heck out of me, Honestly, it really did scare the heck out of me because I saw that this could actually happen. And and all of these pieces that could go on. I know some of it you guys have said came from different real life experiences you had, Brandon. Can we talk about that some more, how you figure out how to play that all in?
0: Yeah. So, and what I like about the book is it's, it's cross genre. It's kind of a bit of Clancy and A bit of Agatha Christie. You have like the military thriller, crime, kind of crime novel. Um, But the book was based on an experience I had on the Abe Lincoln, which is the same ship we use uh, in the book, Steel Fear. Uh, When, I think it was around 95, I was, before I was a SEAL, I was a Navy search and rescue swimmer in helicopters and was was, uh, stationed with a helicopter squadron called HS6 out of San Diego uh, and the you know the helicopter and and air the rest of the airplane squadrons deploy onto the aircraft carrier for this six-month deployment that ultimately takes you to the Persian Gulf kind of you know to keep stability in the region this was a time when the women were just getting integrated into Navy combat roles so that we had for the first time, uh women on the ship uh we had women helicopter pilots And, and so the navy was still kind of trying to figure figure this all out right and when you think you know however many hundred plus years before that it was just men on ships and you have one bathroom one shower area and you just don't have to worry about you know different uh different places to shower sleep go to the bathrooms and so on um, but we had a sexual predator on the boat. We had a guy that was uh, assuming it was a guy that, uh, assaulted six or seven women while they were taking showers, all, all at different locations, usually at night. And he would hit the lights and, and he had assaulted these women. And, and I remember talking to one of the helicopter pilots, uh, Mona in our squadron, and, and just Remembering how terrified she was, and even these guys in laundry were slipping notes into her laundry bag, like these very derogatory messages. It was like a very terrifying time for, for women on the ship, and you know we John and I talked about it in the Red Circle. My time on the Abe Lincoln, and the and the captain wasn't a great captain of the ship, Um, and so we you know we based the the captain Eagleberg and Steel Fear on the same guy um because you know and it was funny I was on James Altucher's podcast a few weeks ago and he said you could teach a leadership course off of steel fear oh we do get, yes yeah we get into like the good the bad uh parts of leadership but the story was inspired by this event that occurred and it just kind of stuck with me through the years and when John and I started working together over a decade ago I said hey I think eventually I would like to explore fiction. Cause I had written a, a few uh, s- like small format uh, articles for FHM and Maxim when I was just getting into writing, uh, but all fiction based on kind of real, real events. And, and I asked John, I said, I have this concept rather than the sexual predator, what if it was a Hannibal Lecter like serial killer let loose on the ship and, and Taking advantage of this like poor leadership environment and in a complex aircraft carrier environment, which is, which is a basically a, a you know, in many cases bigger than s- small towns in America. Six thousand people on the ship, uh, you have a full, you know, laundry, trash, um, you know, multiple mess halls. It's like a city, a shop, shopping stores, um, mm-hmm. libraries. All you just like this huge huge uh, world that, that we created which which again was one of the biggest challenges i think john and i had was how do you create this world and and in a way where the reader doesn't feel too in um uh, what's the word i'm looking for intimidated doesn't feel intimidated can kind of like go wow this is crazy i never realized a ship like this was so complex but anyway that that's the origin of where the story came from and um and then we had a blast writing it we didn't think it was going to be a series but it, it just kind of turned out that way it's kind of an origin hero's origin story for our main one of our main characters Finn so we're just about to finish book two which is Cold Fear it takes place in Iceland um we're, we've got a finished draft I'm actually working on a fight scene Today. <laughs> so it's pretty, two fight scenes. You
1: know. I, 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 I haven't seen a, a draft of that one yet. And I can tell you, I can't wait. I love reading like the early, <laughs> the early versions of, of the book. You know, you telling your story about the first women on the aircraft carrier and how much this matches with your real life. I recently had my 40th high school reunion and it was a great opportunity cause we did it via zoom. So we actually had more women. I went to an all girls Catholic school, Ursuline school in New Rochelle. We actually had more women show up on zoom because no matter where they were in the world, they were able to be there versus having to all get on planes, especially with COVID. And there was one woman I was really curious to hear what she had been up to, because I remember, um, Throughout her senior year, she just kept saying she was going to be the first woman woman on an aircraft carrier, and she was going to be a pilot. And she ended up being a, a Navy pilot for helicopters on aircraft carriers, and she was one of the first women on it. And um, Maura Quinn, this is a shout out to you with how awesome you are. I don't know if you ever met her in your travels, but when I was reading the book, it was like oh, my God, I could picture what she probably had to go through. Plus, I have a dear friend, Colonel Deb Lewis. She was in the Army and in the Pentagon, and she was on hit lists and all that stuff while she was deployed. So reading all of that and having yours and John's perspective, really, as as a woman reading the book, I went, wow, they really got that perspective. They understood what a woman in the military back then, and even now, is still going through with all of that. When, when you decided to write this and you started putting it together, had there been anything like this out there, you know, that, that the government didn't want to talk about yet? Did where you were traveling on the boat, because some of this stuff is like, wow, there's way too much that's real. Unless I'm just being conspiracy theory person. <laughs> I'm trying not to sh- share any spoilers here while intriguing people, because I really want to like say certain things. <laughs> yeah, no, it's
0: it's very real. I think to your point, I I think this is a positive reflection on the Navy and the chain of command um, in many ways, uh, but it's not like top gun right it's not a rah-rah military yeah. movie and even when we we ended up selling the rights to peacock for streaming series we had a big hollywood producer that takes on these big these big movies blockbusters but mostly just you know this kind of rah-rah stuff and it was like hey we're not we don't want to make that series or a movie this is not this is not Kind of the core what we get into with steel fear so um yeah it's very real from the woman point of view it was important for me to have strong woman characters and and represent that kind of period in time where women were just kind of getting into the navy and going up the chain of command um and, and we you know we had lots of help with that carrie lorenz which is one of the first F, f-14 pilots she's a friend of mine she, you know, we had many conversations with her and kind of about her perspective and how challenging it was to be among the first group of women, um, you know, to, to kind of get into these pilot leadership roles. So, um, and, and I think, you know, we have extremely strong uh, female characters in the book. Monica, the, the Admiral of the whole Navy is, uh, the fleet as a, a woman. Um, and that was something that, that it was important to me to because it was the, the way it happened, and there are great woman leaders in the military. And I wanted to show that because typically, you know, it's when you talk about military thrillers and, and those kind of movies, it's mostly, you know, the, the strong male lead character that's in this, you know, position of power. And that, that's not today's military.
1: Yeah, the main character who's investigating everything what I what I loved is he had his um foibles shall we say and he had his idiosyncrasies but he didn't look like what you expect like a like the lee child jack reacher you know when you see these characters written by so many other authors they tend to be physically larger than life and that's really not the case and I think I felt that it humanized and made it even more real for me because like you said, Top Gun, you know, the Val Kilmer character, Tom Cruise, they always portray him much bigger than he is because he's actually quite short, but it's always this impression of this larger than life, perfect kind of person. And yet you chose not to do that by making it more, this character more human yet, beyond human in some ways with because of the Navy SEAL training that you guys have gone through. Um, it, it added another element to that. And I'm curious why you and John took that, that tactic.
0: Well, I think we did it because the, the common kind of bias is to imagine this, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Navy SEAL character, um, and that's not the case. Um, you know, I think the average height of a seal is something like five eight. Um, oh. So it, it's it's not the case. and and there's just this common misperception that's out there that exists. and that for sure was intentional and something we we wanted to address uh, with with the character Finn. And, and I think just just to give people a, a visual, john and i always talk about like our dream care our dream actor to play finn would be rami malek right and he's he has that look that kind of scrawny lanky smart but but you know there's definitely some depth you know behind that behind those eyes so that that's kind of like where we were going with with the finn character if there was one one actor we both i think would love to to see play finn it would be him I um, mean, yeah, and, and a guy like him who um, just doesn't kind of show up as a typical stereo, stereotype.
1: Yeah, I, I loved that. And it was yet one more thing that caused me to get lost in the book. And actually, I was at one point, it was like two o'clock in the morning. And the only light that was on was right where I was reading. And I... I got up because I heard a noise and I was really scared. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, wait, I gotta turn some more lights on in the house because you know, what if what if, you know, I know I'm not on the carrier, I know I'm not wherever it's happening, but it was so real.
0: <laughs>
1: That's good to hear. Oh. <laughs> oh. And you know, I I agree with the person who did the last interview with you that this could, this book, you could create so many leadership lessons from the book and so many real life lessons too, about how we handle situations. In some ways it was like your book, Mastering Fear for me, where I, 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 talk about this, your book all the time, Mastering Fear, because People are like, oh, well, I don't want to read it because it's going to be this Navy SEAL take on you have to just confront it and and dive into the middle of the pool. And I'm like, oh, you have to read this book because, you know, the opening sequence is Mastering Fear is maybe just dipping your toe in the water and sitting on the side of the pool so that you're comfortable with the environment. And yeah. I I would love to see something come from the fear books that you're writing, Steel Fear, Cold Fear, yeah. some other element to it. That would be awesome.
0: Well, that's something John and I are, are discussing right now with book two. And book they, two. They, we looked at, okay, what makes Steel Fear such a cool, unique book, all these elements. And the big element that shows up for me that and all these other people are this kind of philosophy of, of leadership and excellence, which, you know, John and I talked about in and The Red Circle, um, our first book together. Uh, and I think we're trying to figure out, okay, how, what are the lessons in this story that where we can we can kind of talk about that that um, as a common theme in a very similar way that Ayn Rand developed her own personal philosophy in her novels. Um, you know, probably the biggest, uh, Atlas Shrugged. So that's something that, I feel strongly about, so hopefully the readers will will be able to to kind of see that going forward, and as we as we dive into the series, uh, which you know, book two is a is a is quite the quite the book, um, and, and there's a lot of unresolved issues with, with no spoilers, with a couple of the main characters, Finn included, that we're, you know we're hopefully will resolve in in book three or four, but it's fun, like writing, writing fiction is just the gloves are off and you can have at it. And in many ways, I, we talked about, John and I talked about this the other night when we're at um, and we we're doing an indie, indie bookstore event on Zoom. And in many ways, you can really get raw and write more real in fiction because a lot of times in the nonfiction world, and I learned this lesson the hard way at the Red Circle, you know, I would ask people, hey, I, can I talk about this time that we spent together? And they're like, oh yeah, no problem. They give you permission. And then you tell this raw story and they're like, oh my God, like, I didn't remember it that way. And it <laughs> creates a lot of drama and problem. Even my father was, was uh, he he was really upset with a lot of what was portrayed in, in the book. And I tried to tell him, look dad, this is my 16 year old self remembering it, from my experience, I can't possibly rec- replicate yours. You're going to have to write your own book. But right. it does, it causes a lot of problems. So fiction is like, no, issues. it's just like, get as real and raw and crazy as wrong. Yeah,
1: I remember reading specifically The Killing School and going, oh my God, I wonder what the people that really were in these particular things are thinking reading this right now because the books were so vivid and it was definitely from your perspective plus stepping back from your situation and looking at it you know from from the outside looking in but yeah fiction does allow you to do a lot but you also have to be careful when there's some real situations as well that people you know yes the names have been changed to protect the innocent but people can still read into it and how did you deal with that?
0: I mean, I—it's it, tough. I mean, you can just kind of get away with it if you change your name. Um, but for instance, you know, the captain of the, the Kitty Hawk, we ought to honor him, put him in by name um, because he was a great leader. So, um, but yeah, in most cases, you really just can can get away with it. I mean people can make all the assumptions they want. I mean, there's some, most of the characters are, main characters are two or three real people, John and I know in real life, so.
1: Okay. All right, now you're you're overseas right now with your son. What made you, you know, just taking like a little jump in the middle of promoting your book and everything, and I know it's not like it used to be promoting your book, where you can go to live events and do all that great stuff. What made you decide to just go overseas right now while you're promoting this? Well,
0: it was mainly I, I was, I've was i been coming to Europe for four years every summer to vacation for you know, a month or two. Um, my son is going to St. Andrews in Scotland. He's he'll be a second year this year. Um, I had tons of friends in Europe, and I just wanted to kind of shake off the COVID cobwebs and 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 get out. Uh, I'd been vaccinated, and as soon as they opened up the EU, I said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to go see some friends of mine." Um, actually, met my girlfriend at the beginning of summer in Italy, so it was quite the romantic uh, meeting. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to get out, plus the fact you mentioned that this is typically when you launch a book, there's these in-person events, the signings, the bookstore events, um, you know, in live media where you're, you're on radio in New York or on television. This wasn't the case, so I saw Maybe some late nights for me, but I'm willing to like suck it up and, <laughs> and get over here. So, I've done have done probably four 1 a.m. events, but it's just something. I'm like, okay, I'll uh, take an espresso, and stay up, and knock it out. And it's been worth it. I've had amazing two months. I go back to Puerto Rico on Saturday.
1: Okay. Uh, I don't know if we're getting feedback from some other thing in the room, but I'm hearing some other sounds starting to pick up.
0: I hear it too. Let me kill my speaker. And see if that helps. I have an external speaker.
1: Okay. As long as you can hear me by killing the speaker.
0: Yeah. How's that?
1: Okay. Let's see. Okay. That's better.
0: Yeah. Okay. I don't go you know, as well.
1: Yeah, we were starting to get some feedback there. Okay, so you're over there in Europe and it's still crazy COVID going on. What's what's it actually like?
0: The one thing that shows up for me is how the rest of the Europe kind of views America as just having a lot of a lot of problems, right? Especially with this latest Afghan incident. Um, but also like thankful that America has, a, you know, the ability to, to, you know, regardless of, of, of who did it. Like, I think Trump did a really good job of just like, Hey, we need a vaccine. He threw a bunch of money at it. Like a, like an entrepreneur would, and we have largely probably one of the largest vaccine surpluses in the world. So I felt very lucky to be vaccinated in Europe able to travel everywhere i show the vaccine and it's like a golden ticket you can kind of go everywhere right um, and a lot of europeans are not vaccinated you know it depends on country to country in the eu and th- that you know i thought wow you know there there are still many great things about america that i appreciate it that being one of them um, but then i think about my friend my australian friend living in portugal that went for an er visit um, he had an allergic reaction. And he had full on ER, um, I forget what medicine they gave him, but it was 40 euro for the whole thing. And it's some of the best healthcare um, (laughs) in Europe and Portugal. And I was like, God, that would have been a $15,000 visit to a hospital in the US, which is kind of crazy. Like, I think we have big, big problems in America with healthcare education and, and government in general. Um we should not be even my friends in Switzerland, right? And they they pay a fair tax in Switzerland. Typically people pay about 20%, but they have a mandatory healthcare tax. And you can get incredible healthcare for no charge in in Switzerland. Um, and, and I just am shocked that in America, uh you know, a kid that has money Parents have money to afford expensive health care. We'll get better cancer treatment than a poor kid. Like that to me is just outrageous mm-hmm. because we're a very wealthy country and we should be taking better care of our citizens. And, and that that's something that really, really bothers me outside of our pretty much non-existent foreign policy strategy. <laughs> which, which, which I do
1: want to talk about. Yeah. And you gave me permission to ask you about. But get finish yeah. your thought.
0: But anyway, that's, I could go on a tangent. But yeah, that I'd find diving into the Afghanistan thing because it's it's personal to me. I've been talking about Afghanistan for a decade now. Um, so glad to answer any, any questions you have.
1: Yeah, uh, let's just dive into it because it frightens me because I don't feel like we're being given, sort of like with COVID and, everything in our country for the last six years, (laughs) everything's been so slanted in the media, right? We, depending on what station you listen to, what newspaper, what newsfeed, what social media you're on, I don't feel like we really get even close to the real story, forget the whole story. And being a woman, it really concerns me about the Taliban in Afghanistan and, and all of that. I felt that they were going to be lying from the get-go, that interview they let the woman do. I'm like, okay, that's a setup. That's going to fail miserably the moment they get off the air. I wonder how that woman is and everything. And I, she had to do it, right? Because her yeah. life was on the line to do that. What from your perspective, because I know you still have a lot of connections and you look at military things a very different way because of your background. I mean, what do we, what's your perspective on it and what should we be thinking about? I mean, I'm scared. Honestly, Brandon, I am very scared about what this means.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, from, from my perspective, the big problem is that this kind of shines a light on a broader issue of America being a, I I mean, I hate to use the comparison, but I feel like America as a global cop is similar to the policing issues we're having back home, right? It's just kind of run in, shoot first, figure things out later. and. and we're seeing this now because 20 years i think two trillion dollars spent in afghanistan two thousand lives lost and in a second it shows you how fast the taliban take they have more basically control of the entire country which they didn't have when we went in in 2001. Um, they're backed by the chinese now and then so you have this issue of china trying to push their influence on the rest of the world in a very um, thought out long-term vision way um, and the rest of the we're, we're trying to promote democracy in the world and people can't take us for our word anymore because we left afghans hanging right we we couldn't even have like a dignified pullout in afghanistan we have people getting trampled to death at the airport and People terrified that you know women top of the list, right? Terrified what's gonna happen to me. I just bought into this kind of American way yeah, and American back government, which is gone o- overnight. But we couldn't even have a dignified pullout. Now the Taliban actually have probably hundreds, if not billions of dollars worth of American weaponry. Yeah,
1: I'm that- waiting for somebody to drop a bomb on. on yeah, the base and and
0: and it's just the crazy. But, but the bigger picture it shows, it really shows that we have people. Government, foreign governments, are going to have a real hard time trusting America. And another example would be, you know, I wrote about um, it, it in Benghazi. The definitive report. We had largely a situation where Gaddafi was cooperating. You know, he's not a great guy, or he what was not a great guy, but he was cooperating. Um, with, with kind of like the U.S. demands. And and we just decide one day to, to whack him and take him out. And now you have a failed state still to this day, um, which is what, eight years later. And, you know, what did we accomplish there? Like, what's what was the goal with that? What was, you know, we, you can make an argument for whether we should or should have went into Iraq a second time, but we did and so again it's like okay maybe we made a mistake but let's let's pull out in a way that doesn't destabilize the the northern Arabian Gulf and kick off a group like ISIS and push Syria into civil war and and like those the combination of that of pulling out so quickly you have this massive refugee crisis an influx into Europe, which Europe was largely trending open border. And now they're very closed border. Like, it's like, no, I I don't want it. I only want so many refugees. You take the rest, Germany. Um, And it's just become crazy. So, um, and again, it comes back to, to a question I asked, I remember the first time I really started talking publicly about Afghanistan, I was working for a a big defense company l3 and i was invited by um, a law firm which which was a friend of mine was a partner at and knew my background and he said hey do you want to come to this kind of big defense industry dinner we're having a couple big speakers and one of them was mary walker and she was um, amazing woman she was the uh, general counsel for the air force at the time and she was just finishing her her assignment and at this dinner i asked her this would have been probably 2010 and i said mary look i served in afghanistan 2001 2002 we had we had a very clear purpose for being over there like we knew why we were there i said it's 2010 now i have friends that are still serving that have no idea what we're doing in the country And I say, imagine running a business like that. And I said, can you tell me what this, what the long-term strategic plan is? Like, what's the plan for why are we still in Afghanistan? And this was 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And she said, honestly, I can't answer that question. And that's a problem. She admitted it. And not like it was her problem to deal with, but you'd think that somebody in her position would have an idea and it just went on and on i would ask senators and congress people and and you'd get a different answer or it would be blank stares and and i knew i'm like this is a disaster like this is a this is such a tragedy that we're we're spending trillions of dollars and putting america's best and brightest in harm's way for no reason whatsoever like and now it just kind of surfaces all at once right this kind of house of cards that we built in afghanistan for sure a government that collapsed in minutes um is not one that was built uh that had a strong foundation and was it was thoughtfully built and 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 that's what's kind of come to light and the the bigger issue is we have a trust issue america has a big time trust issue now as a global power probably number two behind China in getting countries to trust them because we we go back on our word we kill heads of state we do all this stuff without any rhyme or reason and you can't do that meanwhile the Chinese are methodically kind of working on this thousand year plan um, that's been extremely effective and 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 now you know I I wrote about this on SoftRup the other day the, the reason the Taliban were so emboldened is because they're backed by the Chinese. Like they got the Chinese in their hip pockets. So yeah, they, they don't care. They're, and the Chinese overtly backing them on TV, but covertly as well. So they're like getting military advise, advice, um, probably weapons, support, all this stuff. And so now we're in a situation where <clears throat> we really can't mess with Afghanistan because we'd be fighting a proxy war with China in a very similar sense that people didn't understand uh what was happening in Syria uh you know Syria being a very strategic base for Russia into the Middle East um and that's what people didn't understand like the reason Putin's backing um Syria is because he's got one of a, a hugely important strategic military base in Syria um not letting that get out of his hands so
1: well, when I, I hear you talk about all this, right, these thoughts go through my head. Number one of maybe I will admit I am very naive about this. I have a, I tend to be a person who thinks very positively about things, which I can't with the whole Afghanistan yeah. thing or the <laughs> Russian thing or the China thing. I, I like. I can't find it, but when the intellectual part of my brain goes in and looks at the Syria, the Iraq, the the Afghanistan, I go, well, countries are going in, UN's going in, all these people are going in. And it's like the country just wants to stay the way they are. And is it the religious element that holds such deep sway of these conversations that are happening in religious locations, in homes that like just no matter what, it it wouldn't have mattered if the US did a controlled exit. I mean, how many years have we been saying we're going to pull out of Afghanistan and train the Afghan thing? It wouldn't matter because as soon as there wasn't some stronger physical presence, they were just going to drop anyway. I mean, granted, uh, I see we could have gotten our our base emptied, you know, or whatever it was. But I, I think that people didn't think that it could fall as quick as it did.
0: Yeah, that also didn't surprise me. Um, you know, it's again, you're you go back 20 years ago. There is a reason the Taliban had majority control of Afghanistan, because that it was this, you know, largely um, <clears throat> culturally driven right by by religion. Um, and so that that never went away. Um, my my point was we should have been out of there in 2003. Uh, we had no. We should have destroyed the training camps and just said on the way out said, hey, this doesn't happen again, or or you're gonna hear from us. Uh, right. And but we stayed and we we compromised all these people and and rather than like have a plan that pulls out with some dignity to take care of these interpreters um people that you know back the u.s side we just kind of like left in the middle of the night and said hey good luck and then you know to hear biden say how disappointed he was the government didn't fight back i'm like are you kidding me um and so we just left all these people in the lurch and some even americans like americans still trying stranded trying to get out of afghanistan like yeah it's, it's gonna fall and go back to the way it is but it lets at least up with a plan that gets everybody out that's on our side safely we take the weapons out um, rather than just turn over the keys to these these billions of dollars in weaponry and, and get out and like okay we we messed up um and and then what i'm very um apolitical um i don't have a party but um i think you know in particular i remember you know biden and mccain talking about supporting rebels in syria and i'm like how can you guys be that stupid these rebels are are essentially terrorists and some right. of them isis and like how can you be that naive and look what happened in afghanistan when we backed the mujahideen against the soviets it we trained and armed what was to be al-qaeda in the future you know and osama bin laden so how can we not learn from these mistakes in the past? And we so, keep is there an answer,
1: them. though, Brandon? I mean, is yeah,
0: there? I, I mean, I, I think that if you got a lot of smart people in a, in a room and you could come up with a uh, a plan to promote democracy, and here's the issue: is any any small or large business has a clear mission statement in the world and people know what they stand for and and i don't think people do with america anymore and that's a big problem we have people don't know what we stand for they look over at us and go okay one of the largest economies in the world but what the hell is going on in in america right now it's like civil unrest you know we have this two-party uh system that's really divided the country um and And we have major issues with education uh, and healthcare right now. It's one of the reasons why I encourage my my kids to go to Europe for school. You know, my son, uh, four point three GPA, academic all American, um, and uh, for speech and debate, and among many other accomplishments, uh, scored and you know almost perfect on his ACT. Can't get into Stanford because he. Because the color of his skin and and his dad has a good job, that's just like wow. Crazy. So now you have this, and I'm like, just go to Europe. You don't have to deal with all the, the BS. Uh, make some global friends, and you know you'll get a you'll get a different perspective. Plus, one of the top schools in the in the UK university system is twenty five thousand a year tuition. Um, a, a, a big difference, huge difference, and, and they get a bachelor in three years so yeah um we got big problems and, and at least i would say i'm in the um a couple of business groups one of them young president's organization and we had a dinner with colin powell a private dinner and, it, and at least you know the, the word is getting out now like look you can't rely on government to fix these problems uh the business leaders in America are gonna have to start taking charge and I think that's why you are seeing a lot of good things happen in business like they're they're taking these stands right for social change and um not not all of it is (laughs) is great but I think (laughs) it's encouraging you know yeah to see people you know big brands taking a stand and saying this especially on environmental the environment um, right big one um so yeah, uh, we could talk foreign policy for for hours, but I,
1: yeah, it's
0: it's something I'm passionate about. Um, you know, we cover it on SoftRep extensively. Uh, foreign policy is, is something that we that we uh, we cover on a weekly basis. So
1: well, I always appreciate your perspectives because number one, I feel like they're nonpartisan, meaning it's real. It's just the reality, right? Yeah this is what we see this is from the the military and the non-military point of view which is why i was happy that you were willing to talk and we had that seg that just really worked well to go to it anyway i mean is i worry because of of everything going on in the world today i have lots of friends in europe and and they're feeling uncertain about Will we recover from COVID? Will we recover from all this craziness that's happening in Afghanistan, with China, with Russia? Are we headed for, you know, the end of the world as we know it? Climate change has become a political issue when it should be a human issue. Is it possible? Do you think it is? I think you have another book that you can write, take some of these articles you've written and (laughs) and write something about what, what are the possibilities? How can the average person like me begin to gain the true knowledge we need, right? Because we can't act from improper data. Yeah. So how do we get that to know go fight this fight
0: so if i put my Optimus hat on which i try and wear as much as i can <laughs> um i actually think that the advancements in artificial intelligence um on these complex uh problems are is is going to be like i we are at an inflection point with with ai in a way that there's many different ais out there um studying different problems and I feel like climate change economies um, even global conflict like we're going to get some extremely valuable insights um, and the, the the thing that's very cool about artificial intelligence is it it can crawl every thing and look at every every data set and kind of arrive at a very non um, non-emotional conclusion so I, I think I, I do, I, I subscribe to kind of the, the, the optimist side of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, which I think guys like Peter Thiel, um, uh, who's the other one I'm thinking of, Peter Diomedes, uh, there, there's a group that are, that I follow that talk about AI and, and the advancements in it. It's it's extremely fascinating i'll I'll try and send you this link it's one of the best articles i've read that kind of summarizes everyone like what's happening in artificial intelligence and when you read this thing it's going to keep you up up a few nights um, (laughs) because you realize that the singular the singularity event which which essentially is when uh computers reach the human level of intelligence like they took the median uh, of everyone all these experts in ai and they the median singularity opinion is 20 years so in about 20 years we could reach this singularity event where ai has human level intelligence but the scary thing is you know when you think of like intelligence as a thousand steps you know the chimp is on step three human brain is on say step six <clears throat> when ai gets to the same step as a human brain, a week later, it's a it's like 900 steps above, right? And we can't even comprehend. That's the scary thing: is we we won't even be able to comprehend what it knows or what what it's thinking because we're essentially like less than the chimp at that point.
1: <laughs> and that's when we get into the Skynet, HAL, yeah, yeah, yeah. nine thousand, yeah. all of those things. Have you yeah. watched a listen to a podcast from the MIT Technology Review and Machines We Trust?
0: No but I'll, I'll check it out because the reason I'm I got into AI was um, through some some friends but my son is super into machine learning and artificial intelligence so we have many conversations and and you know it's it's exciting in many ways what it what the possibilities are um, but the fascinating thing in this article I read was that it's about 50 50 like 50 percent of the brightest minds think it's going to be an extinction event for humans and the other 50 percent think it's going to be it's going to save the human race and so it's basically a coin flip but yeah it's a, a coin toss that you and i will probably see in our lifetime which is pretty pretty exciting <laughs> or terrifying.
1: within the next two decades i yeah. i don't see it going any further out than that it might even yeah. be you know, in the next decade by 2030, it's going to be a sea change with AI and it's invasiveness into human reality, completely changing everything that we do and see. Uh, I think you should check out in machines we trust. I just interviewed Jennifer strong. She's the host of the show. She's an amazing journalist and we talked about it and they just did a series on hiring and how AI is in hiring. But it's also a sort, and she used an avatar. They actually created an avatar to go into these hiring AIs and see how they can trick the system and how it perceives them. And it's it's really quite fascinating where it's going. But
0: um, I just sent you that link on that. Okay. on that article. It's a great one.
1: I will add that link to this post so the listeners can see that as well. I mean, we started out the interview talking about a fiction book, Steel Fear, an amazing book that everybody needs to get and that just came out in the last month. And then we sagged into conversations with women in the military. We've talked about Afghanistan. We've talked about Europe and our the American perception that Europe has about us and why you've traveled and what it's been like for you to travel. what What do you want to say to my listeners as we end the show today about, you know, anything that we've talked about or anything you want them to know? And obviously, we need to share how people can get your book, which seems so lighthearted considering our, our last conversation. But what I love is your books, fiction or nonfiction, how they trigger conversation. And that's a kudos to you and, and John David Mann as, as well, because the whole point of books of writing is to make somebody think, change perspectives, give you new questions to ask.
0: Yeah, I would say my, my ask for the audience, besides go by steal fear and leave a review, (laughs) um, would be to remember that we need to have these conversations and, you know, to, to resist the temptation of certainty. Um, And by that, I mean, you know, don't be so um, gripped by these fixed ideas, like, you know, remember only a few hundred years ago, we, you were crazy to think that the world was was round, right? Or that the the sun um, didn't revolve around the earth. Um, and, and so, you know, just keep an open mind and, and know that like now more than ever, we need we need kindness and we need conversations and debate and to, to have a, a dialogue rather than just screaming at each other because we're on different teams. Um, being political teams in America. Like that's what I would remind people, just just to have, you know, more more of these conversations and then ask, you know, to borrow from JFK. Ask, ask what you can do for the country, <laughs> you know, because we need it can't be solved by by government alone. It's, it's not it's not going to happen.
1: Well thank you for that. I, I love that. And I wrote the something you just said, resist the temptation of certainty. I think if we say to ourselves, as you said, certainty doesn't exist anymore. How can we make the world better and and plan for uncertainty and have that go to the betterment versus, I know it's not a word, the worsenment (laughs) of, of the world and the situation. Okay, Brandon, how do people get the book? How do they get more information about you, find out about you, subscribe to awesome stuff you're doing?
0: Uh, the book is everywhere books are sold, um, Amazon being probably the easiest. Um, you can go to steelfear.com for information about upcoming events, um, a little bit of sneak peek on book two, Cold Fear. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram, just, just at um, Instagram and Twitter, at Brandon, uh, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T uh, for Tyler Webb, so at Brandon T. Webb. Um and then my author website is my full name, Brandon And that's that's about it.
1: That's a lot of places to go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just remind everybody get the book Steel Fear anywhere books are sold. Find out more about the book at steelfear.com and what and then find you on Instagram and your Instagram handle, Brandon, is
0: at Brandon T Webb.
1: At Brandon T Webb, right. OK, cool. Thank you so much for being here and and for sharing your perspectives, Brennan, and for writing this book and all the other ones, because I want everybody to get every book you've written because they're so good. <laughs> so dog-eared every copy I, I have and spark the conversation. Right. Let's let's have people conversing and talking like we did here. I got to listen and see some different perspectives. And I know your son's sitting off on the side there. So I want to wish him all the best of luck when he goes back to school and I, it, I hope he stays safe and you guys. You. Okay. okay, cool. Sorry. I love to give shout outs. All right. So um, thank you so much for being here, Brandon. And I know I've got John coming on on the 31st of August. We're awesome. going to be talking about his perspective of writing the books with you and what he's learned. And uh, that's always fun because you guys come at things from very different perspectives. But uh, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, Laura. All right, everybody. I, I, You know how I love Brandon. I love the conversations. I know that this was not our usual conversation we have on the show. Yes, we started out talking about books, but then we got into real-world stuff that was happening because this show is about the questions. And Brandon gave us an opportunity with the knowledge he has to get us thinking about what we're reading in the media, what we're hearing in the media, what questions we're even asking ourselves. This show is about perspective shifting, giving you new information. So I would love for you to post and and share not only about this book, which you got to get because it's so good, Steal Fear, but also about what you're thinking and how conversations are changing. We are people in this world and it's important to have these conversations. So thank you so much all for being here today, for sharing in our time together, and I will see you next week. Have a great day everyone and remember the right questions can change your life. You've been
0: listening to It's All About the Questions starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions
1: starting today.